0: Glad to have you guys with us this morning. Love getting a chance to jump into a new series this morning. Um, Bad Lib readings, great. If you've never seen those before, you're welcome. You can just check all those out. There's some pretty hilarious ones, some maybe not so appropriate, so I'm not endorsing it as a church, (laughs) just so you know. Um, uh, it, It is, however, a reminder that sometimes there's nothing more frustrating than when you are misinterpreted, and I'd love to give a shout out to any and all of our people in here that maybe have been married before, listen, don't raise your hand on this, okay? But how many of you have ever been in a quarrel with your significant other and, and, and you have uttered the phrase, I never said that? Well, that was awkward. So uh, many of you, right? So there's often... Uh, uh, one of the frustrating things that we experience in life is just when you're misrepresented or misunderstood or or somebody says something that you never said. Or uh, we often see it av- even in the culture around us all the time. In fact, uh, I think sometimes even uh, church people are the worst at this because they'll be like, can you believe that this thing, this horrible thing is happening and here's the article to it. And then you see the headline and then you read the article and you say, actually, the article doesn't say what you say is happening. And there's so many misrepresentations that are happening right now, and it's certainly uh, in the world that we're living in, all the kinds of stories, and it doesn't matter whether it's national news or local news, it just feels like on and on and on, there's many things that are being said that aren't actually being said, and there's nothing more frustrating than that, right? And now, I'll take just a quick and dark turn going like, listen, not only can misrepresentations be a little frustrating, they can be downright destructive and deadly if you're not careful about it. You can go literally all, all the way back to World War II. You know that uh, Hitler actually took he took Bibles. He edited and printed Bibles to say things that he wanted it to say in order to build his case against the Jews. Total fabrication, misrepresentation of even the word of God. This happens over and over and over. And that, while that might be a little bit extreme, what we see is it's happening over and over. And what we've often done, and I'd even probably throw myself under the bus here, is that you can go past just misrepresentations of what's in the Bible, but saying things that Jesus never actually said. I think I've probably been guilty of that myself. And it's like you're looking at it and and there's a bad lip reading of what Jesus said. And often we can make Jesus say things that he didn't say in order to get across something that we want to get across. And I can't tell you, there's nothing more scary, honestly, than taking the words of Jesus and misrepresenting those things. And so I think that's a tool that the enemy often uses to bring destruction, to tear people down, And so we just finished this entire series talking about hearing the voice of the Lord. So I just thought it would be so appropriate for us to follow up and go, hey, what are the lies that often sit out culturally? Things that we tend to believe that Jesus says that he didn't actually say. And so that's what we're gonna do over just the next few weeks is unpack some of those things that we tend to hear. You might have even spoken them yourself, but they're not actually true. So what I want you to do is grab your Bibles, go to Jude. The book of Jude. All right, so if you're new to reading the Bible, go all the way to the end and just back up one book. We're going to the book of Jude, okay? Uh, I want everyone to grab, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the chair in front of you. If you're in the room, you guys that are joining us uh, online, go ahead and make sure you grab a Bible around you, jump on your phone or whatever you can to be able to look at Jude. And I want us to uh, lead and in, lean into this particular text because it's going to show us Uh, That, of course, the idea of misrepresenting the truth uh, is not something that we just see, of course, today, but it's been going on for a long time. Now, uh, we're going to start in verse one. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. So Jude is writing this, but a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called beloved in God, the father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, just literally, just quickly setting this up, it is widely believed this is Jude, the brother of Jesus, described in Matthew 13 and Mark 6. This is one of the brothers of Jesus. He says, servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. James is also brother of Jesus, who is the leader of the church in Jerusalem at this time when he's writing this, so... Uh, he's writing this letter and he's I, I love, by the way, that this is the brother of Jesus says, but I'm servant of Jesus. This is so powerful because we saw that while Jesus was on the earth, his brothers and sisters often thought he was crazy. And then they saw the authenticity. He goes into the grave, comes out victorious and his brother is no longer calling him bro. He's saying my king. And I love that. So, That's just a little side note. So Jude saying this is the king. And so here's what he says, verse three, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, what Jude is, I was really excited to write to you But there's something that I feel like we've got to fight for. When he talks about contending, have you ever used the word contend? It means there's something that's worth fighting for, worth addressing, worth diving into. It says, this is what I want to dive into. Verse four, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God Into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So here it is. There are those who are taking the beautiful parts of our faith, this newfound life and freedom that we have through the work that Jesus did on the cross, being freed from the law of sin and death and becoming new to live in this new law of life and freedom that Jesus created. And there are those that are coming and perverting that freedom that's broken and and creating this broken and and empty reality in it. And so they're taking this and they're turning it for themselves, perverting it, and trying to point people back to what they wanted. Effectively, they're taking the beauty of the faith and trying to mangle it, is what they're doing. And so there are several truths that He's going to address uh, uh, over the course, and we won't get into all of those things, but the, here's this idea is that it's really easy to be able to make Jesus say whatever you want him to say. And Jude wants to make sure that the people that he's writing to don't go down this road of listening to things that are not true. And the thing that I would just wanna take, what we're gonna take aim at this morning is this idea that's floated out there on a regular basis. And that's this, that listen, Jesus just wants you to be happy. Jesus just wants you to be happy. It's spoken often. You might have even heard that from a friend. It's possible you've even said it. And it kind of sounds good. It, it maybe sounds a little bit right, but the problem is Jesus never actually uttered that phrase. You won't see him saying that anywhere. And then from that, you'll get all kinds of variations of, that, of this idea. Because you've ever heard someone, and I've, I've seen this and I've often seen it unpacked in the church, where you'll have people come in and say, listen, hey, if that person isn't making you happy anymore, maybe God's telling you to move on. And listen, uh, you, listen, we'll, we won't stand, listen, no one's asking you to stay in an abusive situation or be in a relationship that's uh, evil or painful or anything like that. That's not what the, I'm talking about here, because that's not what Jesus teaches about relationships. But oftentimes, we live in this world where we put relationships on a pedestal, and what we find is if that person's not making us happy uh, then there's something wrong with that person. No, certainly not with us. And this idea of, well, if you're not happy, then you probably just need to bail. Or there's things that have happened or there's uh, phrases that have said, maybe you're walking through a, a time of, of hardship or pain or difficulty. And there are some of those that would go, well, listen, if you just had more faith, then you wouldn't be experiencing this season of your life. If you just had more faith, and people are literally shamed when they're walking through a dark valley as if if you aren't experiencing happiness, then you've got a faith problem. You've got a Jesus problem. There are many things that kind of come out of this broken idea that somehow Jesus just wants us to be happy. And this core idea begins to take shape in our lives. And, and we begin to think, listen, if it makes me happy, it must be right And if it makes me unhappy, it must be wrong. And there's this tendency to lean into that. And the problem is this, we all know, we all know that some of the things that make us really happy in the moment actually bring destruction to our lives. And we've all experienced that in different ways. You know, if if you're in the church, what we would call it, we'd call it sin. And can we just be honest? There's a lot of sin that you can engage in and do that feels fun and happy. It makes you happy, even for a moment. It makes you happy in the immediate. You might not even use the phrase, or you might even even heard of or called the term sin, but there's lots of amazing experiences that leave you empty afterward. There's a reason that the concept of temptation exists. There's something that's beckoning you to a moment of happiness that ultimately leads to pain and disappointment and destruction. And we'd go on and on about the many things, right? Getting drunk, being free of inhibition, right? Chemically empowered to be able to forget all of the issues that are going on, and it makes you happy. And we could go into things like, the s- same thing with pornography. Literally, the idea that, uh, uh, th- that th- this thing that will literally release dopamine, known as the, the, the happy chemical in our lives, literally endorphins that are moving in us. But, and it feels exciting for a moment, but ultimately brings hurt or destruction or buying things on and on and on, going on big shopping sprees, spending money you don't have, feels good in the moment. And it reaps a terrible thing afterward, refusing to, be able to, refusing to forgive someone who has wronged you. Longing for vengeance or retribution. It kind of feels right. And for a moment, it makes you feel maybe empowered, but ultimately it's reaping destruction on the inside. It could go on and on and on. The reality is, is there's lots of sin that makes you feel happy. But it brings destruction. It's only in the immediate. Uh... A few months ago, I uh, was making my kids watch the Ten Commandments, all four hours of it. Just because I felt like you need this in your life. Uh, it's an amazing movie. If you haven't seen it, it was done in the 50s, Charlton Heston. In fact, when, I, when you read about Moses in the Bible, it's entirely possible you think of Charlton Heston. So, And that's fine. Um, So, but, so they weren't real pumped about it, you know, because it's clearly very slow moving and it, but it's, you know, it's, it was an epic movie at the time. It still really is. But what I found is, so they're just going, oh, dad, this is like so dorky. But I found they got into it and then they were like, and we, of course it it takes like days to watch. So we had to keep breaking it up. So we, so they, they, but they were like, Hey, can we finish the movie? So I was, I was pumped about that, that they didn't like it at the beginning and then they, and they, loved it. But no matter how many times you watch this movie, or honestly, you watch the Prince of Egypt, or you watch any of the renditions that are out there, it always will pain you when you see Moses make this decision. I've got all the riches in the world. I got all the things. I got all the favor. I'm a son of the Pharaoh's daughter. I am highly prized. And he lays it down to go be in the desert a shepherd and ultimately become a redeemer of his people and goes through pain and hardship and all of those things to get there. And you feel the pain of him letting go of this thing that might seem like it'll make you happy, but ultimately it wasn't fulfilling. I love how the writer of Hebrews puts it in, in, in chapter 11, verse 24, he says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of a Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy, and here it is, the fleeting pleasures of sin. No one's fighting against the idea that there are many ways in which we sin that bring happiness in a moment. They really can. But what the scripture's trying to point to is that there's something that's empty in it. Happy for a moment to click the purchase button or happy for a moment to take one more drink, but it never ultimately satisfies. Church, this is why Jesus never said, I just want you to be happy. It was never his aim in our lives because happiness is fleeting. It can be a great emotion, but it can often be fleeting. What we see Jesus actually say is I want you full. I want you full. What we'll see Jesus say is I want you more than happy. I want more for you than just happiness. I want fullness for you. That this work on the cross is meant to bring you and I towards maximum human flourishing. At the height of all that we could possibly be and know and experience, no matter the circumstance, no matter what the emotion is that we might face, to be able to be full. And why does Jesus want fullness for all of us? Well, He wants fullness for you and me because that's exactly what He possessed, it's what He was, it's what He had. He isn't saying I just I hope you get full someday. What he was saying is I want you to be full because that's what I have. The Hebrews would tell us he was literally anointed with the oil of gladness above all his companions. That what was in Jesus gave him the greatest and richest and most powerful joy that there is. I love Colossians chapter one, verse 19. that says it this way. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Meaning Jesus would walk through the deepest pain, the greatest betrayal, the greatest treachery, the most Intense physical pain, this side of eternity, and none of that could take away from Jesus being full. None of those realities could take away from the fact that Jesus always was and is and always will be fully alive. And church, it's not just for him, it's for us. That's what he's calling us into when we've been beckoned into a relationship with Jesus, he's coming at us saying, I want more than happiness for you. I want you to experience my fullness. This is what I have for you. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not fire insurance, so we maybe don't go to hell someday. Fullness of life. Brimming what the 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 the, the scripture calls your cup overflowing in the psalm. Filled up and pouring out fullness. This is where the Lord's leading us. Listen, if you're here and you're going, I don't have that fullness. Listen, this is where the Lord wants to take us. That's what he wants to do. It's what the spirit of God beckons every one of us. Ephesians chapter three, For this prayer that God prays, it goes through Paul, but it's this This is the prayer of God over us, <laughs> the Holy Spirit's prayer, right? and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, church, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's our destiny. That is where we're headed. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's our call. That's where we're going. And if you feel in this moment, I'm not there. Good news. That's where we're headed. That's the fullness that he wants for us. It's such a gift that he wants to bring over our lives. And he will deliver that to us above all the fleeting passions. John 1.16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. It's actually from the fullness of Jesus. He's pouring out and giving fresh grace today to step into it. It's what he wants for us. There's an inexhaustible resource that God has for us. And he's ready for us to tap into it. But he's beckoning us not to lose our appetite for fullness. For the immediate happiness that we get from sin. Because it destroys. And that's the wrestle that's going on. Because the world's defining happiness on all these things that ultimately don't, can't stick around and can't satisfy, right? It's more money, plus easy circumstances, plus fun experiences, plus lively relationships, plus personal beauty, that equals happiness. That's how our world has defined it all. And listen, not a one of those things are, are bad. Can we throw that up on the screen just in case? Did we get that? Okay, good. Listen, not a one of those things is evil, inherently evil. But the problem is this, none of those things last forever. Nor can we actually have all of those things aligned at one time. And even if we get all of those things lined up for just a moment, it lasts for like two seconds, and then it's gone. And then we're back to square one, trying to make our lives somehow happy again. As Jesus never said, my goal is for you to be happy, but he wants us full In his own words, the word he uses to describe fullness is to say, blessed. So I want you blessed. In fact, the greatest sermon that we get to see, at least uh, the greatest known written sermon that we have in, in the scripture in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, he literally starts off by saying, blessed, here's what it means to be full. Here's what it means to walk in fullness. You know how he starts? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I don't know about you. I just would never start a sermon that way. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. Man, Jesus is like, hey, let's get after it. This is epic. You got 5,000 people down here. What are you going to say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. So that feels like a killjoy, but actually what he's saying is, listen, you want to know the secret to all of life, blessed are those who know deep down inside they have a need. You might have all the things, but if you aren't poor in spirit where you know you have a desperate need for something outside of you, it doesn't matter how much of that stuff you can have, it won't fill you. I want you full. And he goes on and on, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall see God. Blessed and blessed and blessed. It's what he wants over us. To be able to be blessed is to know the secret of being able to be content, whether you've got a lot or a little. To be able to live in every situation because it's Christ who strengthens us. To be able to be blessed, to walk in favor in the presence of God in the midst of normal, mundane, everyday stuff. But his presence is with us, leading us to the path of life. To be able to be blessed, to have that that peace of God that will sustain you when you walk through the middle of the storm. Because his peace transcends even our understanding. To be blessed to have unexplainable joy in those moments of trial where we go through the deep and dark valley where our faith is being forged because it's of greater worth and value than all the golden riches of the earth. To be able to be blessed. To be blessed to be able to say, I'm free from sin. To be able to say yes to the ways of God because he's the one that brings real life and because he's set us free. To be blessed, to be able to be confident, fully confident, to be able to have hope for the days ahead. That we're not living with vain imagination that somehow all the people out there are gonna fix all the things. But to be able to anchor our heart in the one who fully died for us anchoring forever the question, does God really love me? You bet. Jesus longs for us to be blessed. He literally died and overcame sin so that we could be blessed to have something deeper and richer and greater than even the fleeting, beautiful emotion of happiness. But here's the rub. Okay. And we'll start to finish up here. Here's the discovery. Certainly I've experienced this and I bet you have too, that the path of fullness, the path of living blessed often means that we don't experience or we don't do the thing that it makes us initially happy. That the in order to get full, we got to press past the thing that initially makes us happy. That the richest blessings often start with sacrifice and being a little bit uncomfortable to be able to arrive at fullness. So there's a call and there's a beckoning. There's an asking from the Lord to say, listen, what I'm giving to you probably will not feel like what you experience when you rush into something that gives you happiness in a moment but makes you empty. There's a thrill there, even chemically, internally, there's thrills that come from those things. But I'm asking you to trust me that there's something deeper if you're willing to go there with me. That you, that there's a place I'm asking you to go to that's by faith. And you've got to trust me that it's deeper and richer, but you've got to go there with me. You're going to have to dig in a little bit Because that's what Jesus is, and that's what he does. He's willing to dig in deeper with us, each one of us, certainly collectively as a church, but individually he's willing to come, right? We get to see that in John chapter four, where Jesus approaches this woman in midday, woman at the well, Samaritan woman, Jews and Samaritans aren't supposed to be conversing. She's out there in the middle of the day because she can't go around the morning when all the other women, because she's got shame on her life. And he comes and he approaches her and he asks her for a drink. It's hot, midday, I'm thirsty, could I have a drink? And she says, what are you even doing talking to me? You know, we're not supposed to even be having a conversation. And he said, well, actually, if you knew who I really was, I wouldn't be asking you for a drink, you'd be asking me for a drink. And I love what he... I love what he's doing because he fl- he's flipping the thing upside down. Because he's saying, listen, I want to deal with the thirst that you have. I want to get into and I want to, because I know that you know about thirst. I know that you know what it means to want something more. Because Jesus has, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, knows that she's on man number six right now. Jesus understands that she has thirst. He doesn't have a problem with the fact that she has thirst in her life. What he wants her to know is there is a thirst-quenching reality that is richer and deeper than running from man to man to man in order to find acceptance, in order to find value, in order to find worth, in order to find excitement, in order to find value, whatever it is that she's looking for. We don't really know. It's not unpacked, but she's got shame on her life because she knows she's got this in. Uh, what feels like this unquenchable thirst in which she's hoping that somehow the men in her life, now on her sixth man, is going to finally fill the thirst. And what Jesus wants to say is, I have a drink that you'll never thirst again. I have a richness if you'll come to me and trust me, then you won't ever have to look at another man hoping that he'll fulfill you. I'll fulfill you for forever. I love that, that Jesus is ready to flip the script, that whatever happiness we might be ready to run after, Jesus is saying this, I have richer and deeper and better for you. Would you come and have it in me? I have a drink that changes the game, but you gotta be willing to go there with me. And it's not gonna feel like all the immediate pleasure and then fall away. It's going to be different, and I want you to trust me in it because it leads to maximum flourishing in life. It leads to fullness, and that's what we all want. It's time for us to be a people that ask for more than just happiness, because that's what Jesus wants for you. You've ever heard, "Just Jesus, God wants God just wants you to be happy." Church, reject that lie. God wants way more than that. Uh, I'll finish with this. I, I was reading an article this week. Just so you know that this feeling, this hunger is universal. I was reading an article. And in China, there's a new concept that's kind of welling up. And it's called lying flat. And what they're finding is that those that are in China are, they're, they're working, they call it 996. They're going from, they're working nine in the morning till nine at night, six days a week. They are spinning their wheels, trying to get more money, trying to get status. You know, the government is pressing them for maximum, uh, pushing them towards maximum production. They're trying to get all of these things. And there are people that are finally fed up with it. And there's this movement called lying flat where they're going, I don't want to do it anymore. And they're moving out of the cities and they're moving off into the outer rural areas where the cost of living is so radically different. So they just, so they don't have the pressures over their lives. And they're saying, we're done with it. We don't want that anymore. They're literally giving up on it. But the, actually, the Chinese government is, this, the communist Chinese government, which I, listen, I'm not trying to get in political stuff, because that's just dangerous in church, but this communist government is saying no... They're actually pressing against this idea of saying, I don't want to run this rat race anymore. Literally in a a state-sponsored magazine, there's a quote from the Communist Party-controlled newspaper. It says, here's what they're trying to sell. Struggle itself is a kind of happiness. Choosing to lie flat in the face of pressure is not only unjust, but also shameful. There's the government seeking to look at people who are going I don't want this rat race I'm I'm figuring out my happiness is not in the rat race anymore and the government pressing against them now listen I'm not I, I'm not out here to make a political statement what I am here to I'm here to make a human statement which that is listen that sentiment while we know, live in a communist world here on this side of the of of the planet that sentiment that you, you ought to be trying to keep up with the Joneses in order for you to feel happy and successful is being pressed on us. And maybe it's not coming through state-oriented media. I believe that same ideology is sitting and trying to press in on us. And the Lord's saying, I have more for you than that. There's nothing wrong with providing for your family or having things. It's not what the scripture rails against. That's not, in fact, you know, all of those things can be a great blessing. But none of them can f- f- fulfill and satisfy. And Jesus is asking us to come to him for that. And I, that's his call in our lives. And so here's what I want to do. I'm just going to finish up. In fact, Lindsay, will you come up? We'll, we're going to close out. With this. Our, the first Sunday of the month, we're going to get a chance here in a moment to take communion together. But I just want to pray and begin to ask the Lord for him to speak to us about our level of hunger and thirst. So Father, we just want to come. we want to finish this moment take time this morning just to settle our hearts right now. And we wanna anchor our heart in the truth. And here's the question we just wanna ask. Like the woman of the well, where is our thirst directed this morning? Do you find that you only feel joy or happiness when you're running after things? Would you just ask the Lord that question? Lord, where is my thirst directed today? What's the thing that I thirst and hunger for? Because your word, Jesus, your own words were this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I want to take this moment just to be able to confess. Just in your own heart, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I'm going to ask you to come forward. But just today would you just do an, would you do an inventory and say lord is there anything that my heart longs for in order to be happy that's ultimately empty might not even be an evil sinful thing but some place that you've put your hope in order to be fulfilled An act of worship is to confess. That's just so you know, confession is an act of worship where we say, Lord, this thing is rolling around in my mind and my heart. And I keep thinking that if I have this thing, it will make me happy. And I just wanna confess that you want more for me than that. And I'm giving that to you this morning and just give it to him right now. Father, we acknowledge all the ways that you bless our lives with things, with covering in our homes and opportunities to have sweet vacations with family and all those beautiful things. But Lord, we just want to make sure that there's not one area of our lives where we believe our happiness is fully anchored apart from you, to be full. So we release those things this morning to you. We receive your goodness. We receive again the truth of what it means to be filled by you. Filled. In fact, I just want to pray right now. If you'll receive, just be filled again with the Spirit. Full again to hunger for God. Full to run after him full to enjoy him full to obey him full to treasure him above all things and full to bless everyone else around you your cup full and running over spilling on to those around you around your spouse and around your children your grandchildren your neighbors your co-workers your roommates, in every other place. May we be full. I thank you this morning, Lord, that you guaranteed our fullness when you went to the cross. You paid the ultimate price so that we don't have to be empty, but we could be full.